0: Good day, and welcome to the CJUN 4th Quarter and Full Year 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal conference specialist by pressing the star key, followed by a zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press star then 2. Please note this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Peggy Pinkston, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go
1: ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm pleased to welcome you to Seagen's fourth quarter and full year 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. This afternoon, we issued a press release with our results, and that press release and supporting slides are available on our website in the Investor Section Events and Presentations page. Speakers on today's call will be Clay Segal, President and Chief Executive Officer, Chip Brom, Executive Vice President, Commercial U.S., Todd Simpson, Chief Financial Officer, and Roger Danzi, Chief Medical Officer. Following our prepared remarks, we'll open the line for questions. We aim to keep this call to one hour and so ask that you limit yourself to one question to give everyone an opportunity to participate in Q&A during our call today. Today's conference call will include forward-looking statements regarding future or anticipated events and results, including the company's 2022 financial outlook, anticipated product sales, revenues, costs, and expenses, and potential clinical and regulatory milestones, including data readouts, regulatory submissions, and potential marketing and reimbursement approvals. Actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected or implied in these forward-looking statements. Factors that may cause such a difference include the difficulty in forecasting sales, revenues, and expenses, impacts related to the COVID-19 pandemic, and the uncertainty associated with the pharmaceutical development and regulatory approval process. More information about the risks and uncertainties faced by CGEN is contained under the caption risk factors included in the company's quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarter ended September 30th, 2021, filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the company's subsequent reports filed with the SEC. And now I'll turn the call over to Clay.
2: Thank you, Peg, and good afternoon, everyone. Today we reported $1.4 billion in 2021 net product sales, a 38% increase over 2020, driven by solid growth across our commercial portfolio. Royalty revenues increased to $151 million dollars In 2021, a 19% year-over-year increase, reflecting sales growth by our collaborators. Our total revenue guidance for 2022 is $1.67 to $1.75 billion, excluding TIDDAC. With a strong balance sheet and a cash position of $2.2 billion, we are well-positioned to advance our pipeline through internal and external investments. Todd will walk us through our 2022 financial guidance, but first, I'd like to begin by reflecting on another exceptional year for CGEN. We achieved important milestones in 2021 and continued to expand our global infrastructure and portfolio. I'll begin with our commercial products. Etcetris is a U.S. standard of care in frontline Hodgkin lymphoma and peripheral T-cell lymphoma, and forms the foundation of our core business from a revenue standpoint. Etcetris has received approval in more than 75 countries, and we and our partner Takeda continue to provide this important drug to patients in need. Notably, last week, we announced that the Phase III Echelon I clinical trial demonstrated a statistically significant improvement in overall survival in advanced Hodgkin lymphoma patients treated with Etcetris plus chemotherapy in the frontline setting. Over 30 years ago, ABVD was established as standard of care for treating Hodgkin disease, and almost 15 years ago, data regarding intensified BEACOPP was initially released. We are thrilled that Etcetris plus ABVD has now improved overall survival, and we believe these groundbreaking data further demonstrate Etcetris' clinical value and importance in this disease. PADSEV is a first-in-class ADC which has become a standard of care in the U.S. for previously treated metastatic urothelial cancer. PADSEV has been broadly adopted by U.S. oncologists to treat more than 6,500 patients to date. Last year, PADSEV received regular U.S. approval and was also granted a cisplatin ineligible second-line indication. Together with our partner, Estellas, in 2021, we secured approvals in Canada, Switzerland, Israel, and Japan. We are progressing regulatory submissions across Asia Pacific and the Americas. PATSEP received a positive CHMP opinion in December 2021. Recently, the European Commission decision-making process was paused for additional CHMP questions related to severe skin reactions in a French compassionate access program. This side effect is described in the USPI and since launch has been well managed by U.S. prescribing physicians. We believe that the risk-benefit profile of PADCEP remains unchanged. We are committed to working with European authorities to get this important drug approved for urothelial cancer patients. Beyond these global regulatory activities, we are advancing a robust clinical development program with PADSEV as monotherapy and in combination with Keytruda in earlier lines of therapy. We completed enrollments of ev 103 Cohort K, and expect data in the second half of this year, which could potentially support accelerated approval in the U.S. in 2023 for first-line metastatic Neurothelial cancer. We are also exploring earlier stages of bladder cancer, which represent larger market opportunities. In muscle-invasive bladder cancer, we will report neoadjuvant monotherapy data at ASCO-GU later this month, and we are now enrolling patients in a trial for non-muscle-invasive bladder cancer. Finally, we are conducting a basket trial evaluating padseb and other Nectin-4-expressing solid tumors. Tukiza is a best-in-class HER2 tyrosine kinase inhibitor with broad potential in HER2 cancers. Overall survival data and inclusion in key treatment guidelines reflects its clinical value in second and later line HER2 positive breast cancer patients with and without brain metastasis. Tukiza is approved in 36 countries, and we have commercially launched in the U.S., Germany, France, Switzerland, and Austria. We are working to secure reimbursement and are planning launches in additional European countries over the course of 2022. We recently announced the appointment of Lee Heeson as Executive Vice President, Commercial International. We look forward to Lee's contributions towards our continued ex-U.S. expansion. Our strategic partnership with Merck extends to Kaiser's reach outside of the U.S., Europe, and Canada, to Kaiser's broad clinical development program includes HER2-positive breast cancer, colorectal cancer, gastric cancer, and other HER2-amplified or mutant tumors. Notably, we expect data from the Phase 2 Mountaineer trial in the second half of this year, which could potentially support accelerated FDA approval in colorectal cancer in 2023. CGEN's fourth approved product is TIVDAC which we launched in collaboration with GenMap. TIVDAC, which is a tissue factor targeted ADC, was approved for recurrent or metastatic cervical cancer patients with disease progression on or after chemotherapy. It represents an important new drug in a disease that is characterized by low objective response rates and poor outcomes. TIVDAC's clinical development program is designed to support global regulatory applications and maximize its future potential in cervical cancer and other solid tumors. As we look to expand TIBDAC in cervical cancer, we recently presented promising combination data in earlier lines of treatment, which could lead to use in much larger patient populations. In 2021, we also drove key advancements across our deep and diverse pipeline. For example, we in-licensed the late-stage novel ADC Acidumab-vidotin, which utilizes a high-affinity HER2 antibody with enhanced internalization compared to trastuzumab. DV received conditional approval in China for third-line gastric cancer and recently in second and later lines of metastatic urothelial cancer. Our clinical development program prioritizes monotherapy and combination approaches in breast, bladder, gastric, and other cancers. DB utilizes our Vidotin-based ADC technology, and leveraging our expertise, we are working to maximize its development, potential value, and global reach. Turning to our earlier stage work, we recently initiated two trials for two novel ADCs, SGN PDL1V and SGN B7H4V. And we have also submitted an IND which just cleared for SGN ALP-V. We are developing new ADC technologies in order to widen the therapeutic window of this exciting class of drug with a focus on improving tolerability. In addition, we have four programs that use our proprietary sugar-engineered antibody technology. Overall, we are advancing more than 17 programs across our pipeline and approved products in a range of solid tumors and hematologic malignancies. Next, I want to provide a brief update on the Daishi Sankey litigation. Recently, the arbitration hearing record was reopened by the arbitrator to consider additional evidence. As a result, the decision may occur after the first quarter of 2022 as previously anticipated. Our 2021 achievements have helped to bolster our resilient core business and the solid foundation we continue to build upon. We expect to achieve many milestones in 2022, including important clinical data readouts, global regulatory and commercial progress, and advances across our pipeline, which will help drive future growth. As we look to deliver continued innovation and develop transformative therapies, we remain focused on three key areas. First, we are working to maximize the potential of our approved portfolio through exceptional commercial commercial execution, clinical development, and strategic partnerships. We've expanded our commercial portfolio from one to four products in under two years and have treated over 110,000 patients to date. Robust clinical development programs will generate the potential for future label expansions and opportunities. Second, we are advancing our deep and diverse pipeline of assets as we look to bring drugs five six, and seven to market in the coming years. We believe our ADC leadership and R&D expertise in empowered antibodies provides us with a competitive advantage when it comes to expanding and progressing our pipeline. Finally, we are well-positioned for continued innovation and growth, having built and optimized our infrastructure and capabilities. Our expanding geographic footprint and over 50 strategic partnerships maximize our ability to reach patients across the globe. Our strong corporate development team and significant financial strength allows us to execute upon deals that will further accelerate our trajectory. Next, I'll turn the call over to Chip, who will provide an update on our commercial performance. Then, Todd will discuss our financial results and 2022 guidance. After that, Roger will detail our clinical development activities and pipeline, Sure.
3: Thanks, Clay. The commercial team delivered another strong quarter to close out a very successful year for Cjent. We've effectively scaled and executed in our efforts to maximize the potential of our commercial portfolio of four products. At CETR's fourth quarter 2021 sales were $176 million, an 8% increase over the fourth quarter of 2020. Our focus remains on driving share in frontline stage 3 and 4 Hodgkin lymphoma. We were pleased to see the recent update to the NCCN treatment guidelines that recognize the significance of the five-year Echelon 1 data. We are excited to now have overall survival data from the Echelon 1 Phase 3 study, and we will continue to monitor uptake in the frontline setting. Moving on to PADSEV. Fourth quarter 2021 U.S. sales were $93 million, a 34% increase over the fourth quarter of 2020. We have now seen broad adoption of checkpoint inhibitors as maintenance therapy for patients in the frontline metastatic setting, which has helped PADSEV become the preferred standard of care in the second-line post-maintenance setting. In addition, the indication for patients who are ineligible for cisplatinum-containing chemotherapy continues to represent a meaningful option and a modest incremental growth opportunity. We expect growth in 2022 to be driven by existing indications and look forward to potentially promoting to an additional U.S. pass-up label in the frontline metastatic urethereal cancer setting next year. Moving on to the Kaiser, fourth quarter 2021 sales were $94 million, a 53% increase over the fourth quarter of last year with growth coming from both the U.S. and Europe. Secaisa remains the most utilized product in second and later lines in the U.S. in patients with brain meds. Updated overall survival data in these patients that recently was presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium has been well-received and is a promotional focus. We are monitoring the evolving HER2 metastatic breast cancer treatment landscape, and we have incorporated this into our annual revenue guidance which Todd will detail shortly. TKISA's sales in Europe for the quarter continued to grow, and we look forward to gaining reimbursement in additional countries in 2022. We are pleased with TIVDAC sales of $6 million for the first full quarter since approval, and launch is going as planned. We are navigating the eye care requirements and have gained valuable insights that are allowing us to enhance our educational efforts. Although the initial indication represents a modest opportunity, TIDEC is an important treatment option, and early feedback has been positive. With that, I'll turn the call over to Todd.
4: Thanks, Chip, and thanks, everyone, for joining us on the call this afternoon. Our financial results reflect significant advances made across the business in the past year. Today, I'll summarize our financial results for 2021 and then discuss our outlook for 2022. Total revenues were $430 million in the fourth quarter and $1.6 billion for the full year in 2021. This included net product sales of $369 million in the fourth quarter and $1.4 billion for the full year, representing an increase of 38% over the year in 2020. This reflects growth in product sales across our portfolio, and particularly for Takais and of Royalty revenues were $46 million in the fourth quarter and $151 million for the year in 2021. The 19% year-over-year annual growth in royalty revenues is primarily driven by increasing sales of Etcetris by Takeda and, to a lesser degree, sales of Polavi by Roche and Blenrep by GSK, both of which are ADCs that utilize CGen technology. Collaboration revenues were $15 million in the fourth quarter and $38 million for the full year in 2021. 2021 collaboration revenues decreased as a result of $250 million recognized in the fourth quarter and $975 million recognized for the full year in 2020. These amounts related to the Lidira Tuzumabidotin and Takaiza collaborations with Merck that we entered into in 2020. Cost of sales was $87 million in the third quarter and $312 million for the full year in 2021. This included product cost of sales and royalties for each of our brands, the gross profit share due to our collaborators, and non-cash amortization of acquired technology costs for R&D expenses were $304 million in the fourth quarter and $1.2 billion for the full year in 2021. This is an increase over 2020 and included the $200 million upfront payment to Remagen for in-licensing the vidotin as well as continued investment across our early and late-stage pipeline. SG&A expenses were $211 million in the fourth quarter and $716 million for the full year in 2021. These are increases over 2020, reflecting investments to support the ongoing launches of Takaisa across Europe, and more recently, the launch of TibDac in the US. Next, I'll turn to our financial outlook for 2022, beginning with our revenue guidance. Across our three key commercial brands, we are guiding to product sales of $1.48 to $1.55 billion, representing an increase of 7 to 12% over 2021. Etc. sales are expected to be in the range of $730 to $755 million, reflecting modest growth while we advance a broad clinical development program intended to secure additional labels. TADSF sales are projected to be in the range of $435 to $455 million. We expect growth in 2022 to be driven primarily by continued utilization within its two current indications – while we expect to report data from cohort K of the 103 trial in the second half of this year, our guidance does not include the impact of a potential label expansion. Tukaisa sales are expected to be in the range of $315 to $335 million. And as Chip mentioned, our guidance reflects the ongoing evolution of the treatment landscape. While we expect to report data from the Mountaineer trial later this year in colorectal cancer, we do not anticipate label expansion in 2022. We continue to engage with individual country authorities to secure broader European reimbursement, which can take up to two years post EMA approval. And since we are still early in the launch of TIDDAC, we are not including sales estimates in our 2022 guidance at this time. Next, we expect royalty revenues to be in the range of 160 to $170 million, primarily reflecting sales of its sector in its territories, along with contributions from Polavi and Blenrep. Finally, we expect collaboration revenues to be in the range of 25 to $30 million. As a reminder, collaboration revenues include our profit share from Stellis' sales of PADSOV in its territory, this now includes royalties from sales in Japan, and in future years is expected to include a profit share from the EU five. Now I'll turn to twenty twenty two expense guidance. Cost of sales is expected to be in the range of three hundred eighty to four hundred twenty million dollars. This is driven by increased product sales across all brands and the higher profit share payments to our collaborators. Cost of sales also reflects third-party royalties owed as well as non-cash amortization. R&D expenses are expected to be in the range of $1.2 to $1.3 billion, primarily related to two items. First, investment in clinical trials to further expand Etcetra's PADSEV to Kaizen TIVDAC into additional indications. And second- increased investment to advance our earlier-stage agents, including more than 13 other programs in the pipeline. We believe that these investments are important to our long-term growth. SG&A expenses are expected to be in a range of $780 to $860 million as we continue to focus on commercial execution to drive growth of our approved products. The guidance also includes investment to support the global infrastructure for the continuing launches of Takaiza in Europe. Non-cash expenses are expected to be in the range of $280 to $310 million, the majority of which is stock-based compensation. Taken together, our guidance reflects our strategy to expand the commercial opportunity of our portfolio and to advance new product candidates. Now we will turn the call over to Roger, who will highlight our development activities.
5: Thank you, Todd, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm happy to share recent clinical development updates for both our approved medicines and our pipeline. I'll begin with Etcetris. We are extremely pleased that Etcetris, in combination with AVD, has significantly improved overall survival compared with ABVD in newly diagnosed patients with advanced Hodgkin lymphoma tetris was shown to reduce the risk of death by 41% with a hazard ratio of 0.59 and a p-value of 0.009. These data further demonstrate the meaningful difference that tetris brings to patients, and we look forward to presenting the results at an upcoming medical meeting. In addition, we were recently informed that a Phase 3 study of tetris in newly diagnosed pediatric patients with high-risk Hodgkin lymphoma defined as stages 2B with bulk, 3B, and 4, has met the primary endpoint of event-free survival, as reported by the Data Safety Monitoring Committee. Trial AHOD-1331 is sponsored by the National Cancer Institute and run by the NCI-funded Children's Oncology Group. The study compared an tetris-containing chemotherapy regimen to a chemotherapy regimen that included biomycin. We thank the Children's Oncology Group for their efforts, and we look forward to their presentation of these exciting data at an upcoming medical meeting. At ASH, we presented initial data of a combination of the Tetris plus volumab, Adriamycin, and dicarbazine in frontline advanced Hodgkin lymphoma, which showed an objective response rate of 93% and a complete response rate of 88% at the end of therapy. We believe these promising results could form the basis in the future for testing this novel regimen in the frontline setting. Later this year, we plan to share results describing Etcetris' potential utility as an immunomodulator in combination with Keytruda in solid tumors. We are also testing Etcetris in a Phase two study in HIV patients, which will begin enrolling this quarter. Turning to PADSAVs, we remain focused on moving this important product into earlier lines of urothelial cancer. In the frontline metastatic setting, we are evaluating PADSEV and Keytruda in two studies, EV103 Cohort K in patients who are ineligible for cisplatin therapy, and EV302, which includes both cisplatin-eligible and ineligible patients. EV103 Cohort K has completed enrollment, and we expect to report top-line results in the second half of 2022. The Phase 3 EV302 global trial is assessing PADSafe plus Keytruda compared to platinum-containing chemotherapy, and we are pleased that this trial is projected to complete enrollment this year. EV302 is intended to be a confirmatory trial for Cobalt k as well as supporting global marketing applications. In muscle invasive bladder cancer, we, together with Estellus and Merck, are advancing two Phase three trials that are testing PADCIF in combination with Keytruda as perioperative treatment in different populations. The Keynote B15 or EV304 trial is enrolling cisplatin eligible patients, and Keynote 905 or EV303 trial is enrolling cisplatin ineligible patients. Later this month at ASCO-GU, we plan to present the results of the EV103 exploratory cohort H, In this cohort, PADCED monotherapy was given as neoadjuvant treatment of cisplatin-ineligible muscle-invasive bladder cancer patients for three cycles prior to cystectomy. Furthermore, we are pleased to announce that we have begun enrollment into the ev 104 trial of single-agent PADCED in non-muscle-invasive bladder cancer. In this study, PADCED is administered intravesically in BCG non-responsive patients. We are also studying PADCET monotherapy in a basket trial of high and 4 expressing solid tumors, including lung, breast, head and neck, gastric, and esophageal cancer. This study continues to enroll patients, and we await initial data this year to inform our next steps. Turning to, to Kaiser, we continue to advance our broad development program in breast and GI malignancies, as well as other solid tumors. Today, I will highlight a new study, HER2-CLIM-05, which will evaluate to Kaiser in the frontline maintenance setting of her two positive metastatic breast cancer. Standard of care for these patients typically include six to eight cycles of a taxane with a and pagella, otherwise known as THP. Once the chemotherapy is complete, the septin and pagella are continued as maintenance. Despite the excellent results obtained with THP, patients remain at risk of relapse and death, including the risk of relapse in the brain fotu so Kline 5 randomizes patients who have completed THP to receive Kaiser, Herceptin, and Pagela, or Herceptin and Pagela alone. The primary endpoint is progression-free survival, and we expect to treat the first patients this quarter. In GI cancers, we are awaiting results of the Phase II Mountaineer study, which are expected in the second half of this year. The study assesses Kaiser and Herceptin as treatments patients with previously treated HER2-positive colorectal cancer. Additional trials are studying to Kaiser in combination with oxali based chemotherapy in first-line GI cancers, as well as in combination with Herceptin in a basket trial for solid tumors with HER2 alterations. I'll turn now to TIGDAC, which received accelerated approval in the United States for the treatment of patients with recurrent or metastatic cervical cancer with disease progression on or after chemotherapy. A global Phase three trial in cervical cancer, Innovative 301, is currently enrolling in the EU and Asia, including Japan, with plans to expand to other regions such as Latin. This study is intended to serve as the confirmatory trial in the United States and, importantly, to support global regulatory applications. Our next goal for TEDDAC is to move into earlier lines of metastatic or recurrent cervical cancer. And in this regard, we presented combination data from the innovative 205 trial in the first and second line setting at ESMO 2021. This study will be expanded to further investigate additional multi-drug combinations, including TIFDAC, combined with carboplatin and paclitaxel, with or without levacizumab. The results from these new combinations will inform further development of TIVDAC in the first-line setting. Beyond cervical cancer, we continue to study the potential for TIVDAC in other malignancies through an ongoing Phase II trial, Innovative 207. Preliminary data evaluating TIVDAC as treatment of head and neck cancer is being presented later this month at the ASTRO Head and Neck Cancer Symposium in Arizona. Turning now to dicitumab, or DV, in the second quarter of this year, we expect to begin enrolling our monotherapy trial in urothelial cancer. We are also focusing on the development of DV in HER2 low breast cancer based on encouraging monotherapy data generated by our partner Remagen. I'd like to now briefly mention our early stage pipeline. We are evaluating multiple products in Phase one clinical trials across a range of solid tumors and hematologic malignancies. We recently reported first clinical data from two novel SCA programs. At ASH, we disclosed initial SCA-BCMA monotherapy data that demonstrated an encouraging early safety and efficacy profile in the 1st line plus multiple myeloma setting. In addition, we recently shared SCA-CD40 data in combination with chemotherapy and an anti-PD-1 in metastatic pancreatic cancer in which we demonstrated evidence of immune activation in patients with an acceptable safety profile and encouraging anti-tumor activity. Follow-up for survival is ongoing and will inform future development decisions. We are also enrolling a basket trial to assess SCA-CD40 combinations in other solid tumors, including melanoma and non-small cell lung cancer. In closing, we continue to make meaningful progress of our pipeline and we look forward to providing you with updates on future calls. Now I'll hand the call back over to Clay.
2: Thank you, Roger. I'm proud of the important milestones we have achieved in the past year, which have set the stage for our future. Our portfolio, proven commercial engine, expanded international infrastructure, and strategic partnerships increase our global competitiveness and maximize the value of our approved medicines. We believe our significant financial strength, active corporate development, robust clinical development, and key 2022 catalysts will continue to bolster our deep and diverse pipeline. We are well-positioned for future innovation and growth. At this point, we'll turn to Q&A. Operator, please open the line for questions. Thank you. Thank you.
0: We will now begin the question and answer session To ask a question, you may press star, then one, on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. Our first question comes from Jeff Necom with Bank of America. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, guys. uh, Thanks for taking the question. I guess the real obvious one is, you know, you guys have talked a lot about all the trends in the fourth quarter in last year uh, and the guidance for the three main products. You know, one is down year on year, and the other two are just marginally, essentially flatline with fourth quarter. So is it – I get the need to be conservative, but is there something that we should be aware of as it relates to the competitive backdrop for all of your products or the market itself? Just give us a little bit more detail on on kind of the the idea behind the guidance and and maybe any individual kind of nuances that you'd want to point out. Thanks. Sure. Thanks,
2: Jeff. So uh, first of all, we like where we are positioned on all our brands. You know, we have OS data in three of these brands. The only one we don't is our newest drug, and that's something potentially for the future. Uh, these are real drugs. These are not incremental drugs, and they really help patients. And as you know, building brands and, uh, takes time to build them up. And we have tons of great catalysts coming out for 2022, uh, which we certainly could go over. Uh, you know, our revenue guidance for 2022 uh, is, you know, uh, is 6 to 11 percent higher than last year. You know, our product sales guidance, uh, is 7 to 12% growth over 2021. So we're certainly not guiding that as a company we're going down. Uh, you know, the the one point about Tukaiza that, uh, you know, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, the the guidance is flat to slightly down for Tukaiza. And, uh, the rationale for that, uh, you know, and, and really how we're thinking about it is, you know, in brain meds, tachyces is the most utilized drug for patients with HER2 positive breast cancer in second and later lines. And the product is growing in Europe, but it's an evolving and dynamic marketplace. And with the advent of the HER2-DVO3 trial, uh, it's likely to have a near-term effect on our growth, and that's reflected in our guidance. But we do expect, now near data, in the second half of the year to support regulatory submission, uh, with potential label in you know in the uh, in 2023. So there's a lot that uh, we can do. You know, there's so many other things we're doing with Dukiza. Uh We have her, her- to climb O2, as Roger mentioned, soon to start her to climb O5 in frontline maintenance. Uh, continued contributions from Europe as we secure reimbursement. So I think the future is very bright for Tukhisa, uh That's where we are right now. Okay,
0: thanks. Our next okay. question comes from Salveen Richard with Goldman Sachs. Please go
1: ahead. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Could you frame the PADSF, um, Muscle Invasive Bladder Cancer Cohort H data that's um, coming up in terms of how we should think about um, what's meaningful here?
2: Sure. Um, we're, we're really excited about what we can see with the uh, – what we're going to be presenting at ASCO-GU. Roger, can you, can you outline a little bit what, we're, what we are looking yeah. at and
5: the context Sure. Thanks, Clay. So the data that we'll be presenting from uh, EV103 cohort H is passive monotherapy in the neoadjuvant setting, and these are folks who are cisplatin ineligible with MIBC, and so they've not yet undergone any surgery. So what this will do, and you know, when the data is presented publicly, you will have a better understanding um, and a better indicator of what PADSERV as a monotherapy you know, is able to achieve in this Disease state. Uh, we're excited to have the data presented, but it is important to just note that uh, the ongoing registration trials that are being run, which were mentioned in the prepared remarks, are focusing on the combination of Kitruda plus padset. It, you know, Keytruda has already shown meaningful activity in this population. Uh, when we've shared the padset data, there will be an understanding of what padset can do, and then some idea of potentially what a combination could produce.
0: Our next question comes from Corey Tasman with JP Morgan.
2: Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon guys. Thank you for taking my question. Um, wanted to ask about the significance of the arbitrator reopening the Daiichi litigation, uh, to consider additional evidence. Can you can you talk about kind of what this means, a the precedent there? And are you able to say what party submitted the additional evidence? Thank you. Um, Thanks for the question. So, as we said, the arbitration hearing was reopened. So, I just want to repeat this and, uh, by the arbitrator to consider additional evidence. Uh, As a result, uh, the decision may occur, uh, after the first quarter. We don't know exactly at this point. Uh, and, you know, what's important is for us to say is that legal matters are confidential and they're pending. And it's not appropriate for us to discuss them in detail. However, what I will say is we believe that our case is uh, strong. We continue to believe that. We have no change whatsoever in our belief in our case. And this delayed resolution does not change our view that we have a great case. Okay. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Kenan McKay with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
4: Hi. Uh, maybe just thinking about the product revenue guidance for um, 22, can you talk a little bit about uh, net price assumptions here? We, we've heard uh, m- more and more that um, revenue growth is going to rely much more on uh, volume growth than uh, pricing growth, which is a little bit different from um uh, some of the trends for the last 15 years or so. I'd just love to, to hear how you're thinking about that for um, 2022 and beyond. Thanks.
2: Sure. Thank you, uh, Ken, for uh, the question.
4: Todd, would you like to comment? Yeah, thanks, Ken, I'll, I'll try to jump in here. I think, you know, when you look across the brand, we are projecting volume uh, growth. Uh, we have, as you know, historically done price increases, although today we're not commenting on, you know, which prices we have or, or will or, or won't do. Um, you know, but what we've tried to do with our guidance is really kind of look across each of the brands, um, you know, look at where we are, for example, with Etcetarist. This is a drug that's been on the market, you know, 10 or 11 years. It's, it's an incredible drug that has helped a lot of patients. Um, and we're projecting growth this year because, you know, we think we can continue to uh increased adoption and you know we we commented on the call with uh, the OS data that we presented last year. You know, I'll I'll point out that those data are only out in top line form right now. We're looking forward to presenting the full data set at a medical conference later in the year. So you know we haven't tried to assume uptake and our guidance based on that, but it's certainly positive. I think you know Pat said we'll see is a nice growth year. Uh we continue to see patients that are completing uh, checkpoint inhibitor maintenance therapy in the frontline setting that, you know, fall really nicely into uh, the current labeled indications. And of course, we've got clinical trials underway to continue to broaden the labels is the longer term goal. And then with Tikiza, you know, the, we've been on the market now approaching two years in the U.S. We're starting to, you know, reach a steady state there. Europe continues to grow. But as, as Chip mentioned in the call, you know we're also aware that uh, nicely for patients the you know the treatment landscape continues to evolve here so uh we think tokaida is going to continue to be an important drug and as Roger mentioned there's a lot of work underway to move it into earlier line uh combination settings with drugs like kemcila uh in the in the HER2climo5 uh trial setting as you know maintenance uh therapy, and then, of course, the, the colorectal data, and hopefully that leads to a label next year uh, out of the Mountaineer trial. So, you know, we're really bullish on the drugs. This is a, a little bit of a year of executing on clinical trials, which is what you've got to do to generate data to support label expansions, and, uh, you know, that's been a stated goal of ours for a long time.
0: Our next question comes from Matthew
4: Harrison with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Um, great. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Um, thanks for all the comments on on the product guidance you, you've already provided. I, I guess I was just hoping on Tukai to ask a a bit more specific question. So, could you comment so far in in, in 2021 what what impact you've seen from the Destiny O three results for Inher2 and and, you know, have, have you seen share loss, you know, off-label share loss from from an HER2 being used there? And, and then can you give us some sense of, of how much of an impact you're thinking this is going to cause um, in, in 2022? That would be very helpful. Thanks.
2: Right. Well, you know, uh, in 2021, it's not really where we're predicting the impact. It's really in 2022. Um Chip, do you want to give
3: a little bit of color on that? Sure, Clay, absolutely. It's, it is early to see impact of new data. You know, moving forward, we do expect to see changes in the market as the market digests the data, um, you know, more thoroughly. Um, as far as the adjustments, those are reflected in the guidance that we've, we've put forth for 2022.
0: next question comes from Andrew Barron
5: with SVB Lyrics. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks, and I appreciate all the color you guys have given. Maybe um, one on the EMA pause of the Padserv review. Um, you mentioned that there was a positive CHMP decision. Um, didn't this include a consideration of the skin rash and Stevens Johnson syndrome that has been seen previously? Just trying to understand what's new about what was seen in the French Compassionate Use Program that caused the EMA to, to pause the review.
6: Yeah,
2: thanks for the question. So we, we had some severe skin reactions uh, in a, as, as you pointed out, as we stated, a French Compassionate Active Program. This is a well-documented side effect, and it's very consistent with our USPI. Quote, uh, safety is our highest priority. Uh, for patients, but we believe fully that the benefit-risk profile is unchanged for FAD-7. Uh And uh, you know, we're we're excited with this drug. It's been used in many, many thousands of patients in the U.S. Uh, you know, docs uh, use it well in the U.S. Understand how to use it, and uh, you know, it, it, it's important to. Uh, uh, you know for docs around the world to use it according to uh a label Roger, do you want to add any uh any additional color
5: yeah i and I, yeah so andy I think that the this is the European regulatory process uh you know that that we're going through um and you know the exact the exact reason why a decision is made to or a decision is made to pause uh on an approval is really for the regulators to make that call. But just to reiterate what Claire' is saying. There's nothing in in the data that we're aware of or that we see that is' any different from what we've generated elsewhere and what is currently uh, you know re- reflected very clearly in the USPI. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Michael Schmidt with Duenheim. Please go ahead.
6: Hey, guys, thanks for taking my questions. And congrats on the uh, nice fourth quarter, actually. But I-, I had another one on the 2022 product guidance. Um, you know, specifically around to Kaiser, when we talk to breast cancer docs, they really uh, tell us that, you know, they use the drug predominantly in patients with brain mass, and that would really not change, um, you know, based on the, the new nhr data. So just wondering, um, you know, what your market research there, um, you know, says. And then, on, on the other hand, you know, PASF guidance uh, for 2022 it was actually higher than, than what we expected, especially since um, you have stated in the past that you already have, you know, very high market penetration in bladder cancer in the U.S. And so just wondering, you know, how you, how you see the market evolving there in the near term that, you know, and, and what the growth drivers could be for PASF in 2022.
2: So uh first of all, we'll start with Pad Seven. You know, our guidance shows about a thirty percent growth um over twenty twenty one. So we believe uh, you know, PAT seven is uh, really helping patients. Uh and uh you know there's a lot we could talk about uh with this, but we, we believe it's still a growth opportunity uh post checkpoint inel- uh post checkpoints and post checkpoint eligible patients, which is reflected in our guidance. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, checkpoint, uh, inhibitors, you know, have grown the market for passive actually. And, and so we're excited with that, but we're also excited from, you know, we're going to get data in cohort K this year. Uh, it's not in our guidance because we're going to get, we, we expect the data, uh, in the second half of the year. <laughs> and so we think that based on the timing for submitting that and, and everything, the approval wouldn't happen until 2023. So, obviously, we couldn't put that into 22 guidance. Uh, we do expect to complete enrollment of EV302 this year, which is to support global submissions in uh, first-line uh, urothelial cancer, regardless of whether you're eligible or ineligible. And, you know, we're going to have presentations very soon on uh, muscle-invasive bladder cancer, which is a bigger opportunity than metastatic disease, and and then uh, the, you know trials are underway, you know not only in muscle base, but in non-muscle basis, which is a much bigger uh, opportunity. And we also have basket trials enrolling, so expect data this year for initial data on basket trials. So when you look at PADSEP, you look at our guidance of a 30% growth, and where we are with no new labels for the year, yeah, the products you know still doing really well. So I appreciate you pointing that out. As far as Tukaisa goes, uh, you know, we, we have been, we have discussed, you know, everything here. We believe it will still be used, uh, and doctors rely on it, and, you know, in, in terms of, of brain meds. And so that's something that, you know, we're really happy about. The other thing is, uh, one of the things that's kind of, uh, been interesting is, uh, docs use the duration of use of Tukaisa has been strong. So we're really pleased with that. And I don't know if you found that out in your, market uh, assessment, but uh, docs, uh, you know, often you see a drug that, uh, you do a clinical trial, and you you see uh, a shorter duration in in the real world. That's not what we're seeing in the real world. We're seeing something that's very good. But we do, uh, we are you know, including in our gu- guidance, uh, some effect uh, of the uh, DB 03 trial. You know, it's not just, uh, it's not just used in brain med patients, although that's a very big area. It's also used in patients with visceral disease. And Chip, do you want to give any color on that part of patients and, and you know, a little bit about our guidance uh, of what we're thinking?
3: Sure, Clay. So, you know, as I mentioned in past calls, we've seen uptake in both patients with and without brain metastasis. Um, DeKyza has strong data in both those patients' subsets, so we really broad utilization. Um, you know, it has established – to has established itself as an important treatment option. Um, especially for patients, you know, that do have brain metastasis. Um, so our thinking around this is that we're going to continue to get utilization. Um, we're going to continue to work uh, to make sure that every eligible patient um, has an option uh, that is available to them that, that physicians, um, quite frankly, have, have anchored to this since, since launch. Um, but we look forward to continuing to promote the product. The, the guidance recommendation that we have is our best current thinking on how the marketplace and the landscape is going to change.
6: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Boris Peeker with Cohen. Please go ahead.
5: Great. Uh, I just want to follow up on to and the new uh, HER2-CLIMO5 study that you announced earlier Mm -hmm. today. I'm just thinking, given the relatively good prospects for these patients, how large will this trial be? How long do you think it will take? And based on that kind of estimated time of completion, how much in, uh, exclusivity do you think there'll be left on Tucaya at that point?
2: You know, uh, we haven't outlined everything. Roger, can you give a little color and context on on tukiza, uh, uh O five trial?
5: Yeah, sure. So, as as you heard us in our prepared remarks, you know, outlining what this trial will do, is from a medical perspective, it's very appealing. Yes, the frontline therapy with you know, THP is successful, but there are still patients who relapse. And using ticayza in a maintenance mode like this, to us and to actually to physicians as well, has a lot of appeal and makes a lot of sense. The size of the trial, the assumptions of the treatment effect, the the rate of events, are all things uh, that will influence timing. But you know, we decided to move ahead with the trial, so we believe that based on its size, based on how long it will take. Um, and based on when we expect the readout, that we will have a meaningful opportunity if, a, if the trial is successful, you know, to commercialize that indication.
2: Yeah, We think this is the appeal of the trial, as Roger says. Uh, it goes to the factor of how quickly you can enroll. And, uh, you know, as far as timing goes, the faster you can enroll, the faster you can have the data and, uh, and go toward, uh, you know, helping patients on the commercial market. So we're really excited with the trial. We believe it's strongly positive from a financial standpoint and uh, we're excited and going forward. Great. Thanks. For Take my question.
0: Our next question comes from Stephen Welliewick. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Bonnie Putsch on First City. Um, I just had a quick question for your top line results um, that we anticipate this before. Uh, Cohort K and EV 103. Um, Are there any expectations that you can frame for us in terms of what type of data and how much data we can anticipate
1: now that enrollment is complete? Thanks.
4: Well,
2: you know, we uh, have have said we'll have data in the second half of this year. Uh, You know, I I think that the specifics of what we expect or what it will look like, we'll just have to wait till the data come out. And, you know, our intention is with this, these type of data, we put out top line, but we'd also present it at a conference, you know, as fast as we can, uh, and, 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 obviously write out publications. That's what we usually do. And we would continue to do that, but you know, as soon as possible, uh, you know, we after dating, you know, uh, allowing the time to go on to really watch the trial and make sure that we see the appropriate data and duration and everything. You know, safety uh, and all the different features that you need to see. We will put out top line data at our soonest uh, appropriate timing. So, and that's the second half of this year.
0: Our next question comes from Jenna Wayne with Barclay. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, just one quick question, clarification question regarding arbitration reopen for additional evidence. Just want to make sure, like, was the additional evidence already submitted or arbitrator is asking for additional evidence? If the latter, is there a deadline to submit the data?
2: Right. Well, thank you very much for the que- uh, question. Evidence doesn't come from arbitrators in this case. They come from the companies. So that's all I'll yeah. say about yeah. that. It's not from the arbitrator. Uh, and there, you know, and I can't give you details on, deadlines or things like that. I want to be very respectful of that this is a pending legal matter, and it's inappropriate to give you um, more in-depth color than I'm allowed to at this point. But I want to remind everyone on the call that we believe our case is strong. It's been strong. It continues to be strong. And this has no bearing on the strength of our case whatsoever.
0: Our next question comes from Jay Oldman with
5: Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Oh hey, thanks
2: for the update and thanks for uh, taking the question. I want to follow up on your clinical development strategy in breast cancer based on the work you're doing with Tukiza in combination with NHER2 and also considering the evolving standard of care in HER2 positive breast cancer that you mentioned. Would you consider studying her 2 as an active comparator and first-line breast cancer and or uh, adjuvant treatment setting? And then related to that, how are you thinking about the potential to add the sitamab the dotin into your breast cancer portfolio as a, either as a standalone agent or in combination with kukaiza? Thank you. Sure. Thank you for the question. Some of this, you know, we've thought about uh, or we've, we've talked about. Some of it is not publicly released yet in information. We, we're not ready to talk about but, Roger, can you give a little more color on uh, Chi uh, in first and adjuvant and and then maybe just a little color on DV and what we're thinking?
5: Sure. So the Chikaiza development program, as as we present and as it's laid out, does cover almost all aspects of breast cancer, including this new trial, which is which is a true frontline trial. And you know the approach we've taken, because Chikaiza is a drug, that is appropriate for combinations. It's a small molecule, HER2 TKI. Uh, it profoundly inhibits the pathway. Uh, we've shown now with uh, HER2 Climb that, you know, inhibiting uh, HER2 signaling both from outside the cell and inside the cell uh, is a right sort of medical strategy to follow. And so in in principle, combining two kinds of HER2 makes complete sense. Two very active agents, same type of principle with the chemotherapy delivery, and a trastuzumab uh, binder. And that applies also to dacitumab vedotin, which, which is a, an optimized antibody with a vidotin payload aimed at HER2, and to Kaiser's, obviously, you know, in that space for the HER2 overexpressing or the HER2 amplified. So we haven't disclosed plans, but it's an obvious question that, you know, that we're looking at very carefully, which is what is the synergy between those two products? And you know how would we develop those two uh, in, you know, as a combination? So that's under serious consideration. Beyond that, the uh, concepts like head to heads against in 2 it's not an obvious thing. Uh, I think that's in our thinking. But of course, you know, we wouldn't exclude any possible trial if it if it made sense. Great. Thank you.
0: question comes from Andy
3: Shea with William Blair. Please go ahead. Oh, great. Thanks for uh, squeezing me in. So uh, two questions. So regarding uh, Etcetera, congratulations on the OS win. Um, just wondering if you mind sharing with us about how that 40% plus reduction in the risk of death could change perception and prescribing patterns. And uh, the second question is is really on the method 4 expression in lung cancer. Um, so the 202 study, you're looking at lung cancer, um, uh, but uh, it's not biomarker selected. Just just curious about, you know, what kind of data informed that decision.
5: Thank you.
2: Sure. Well, let's start with the Accentris, um data. Look, we're thrilled at the OS. I mean, this is, a, you know, a long time coming, and it's in a disease, Hodgkin Lopoma, which takes a long time to watch and monitor and, and look at this, but it's very clear to us that you know this uh, is a great regimen, uh, and we're excited to present the data in full detail, not just top line, at a conference by the investigators. And so, Roger, can you talk a little bit about you know the impact of the risk of death, and and uh, uh, but, you know I, 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 and what we can do about this with regulators, uh, et cetera?
5: Sure. So, uh, as I said, this is, this is a great result because, you know, historically it has been very difficult to improve overall survival in Hodgkin lymphoma. I mean, that's good news because patients have good outcomes. But E1, after, you know, multiple years of follow-up, has actually reached the point, and it's a pre-specified outcome. So, this is an endpoint that was defined in the protocol um, in terms of how many events one needs and, and such, and so it has the potential, uh, you know, once we have presented the data publicly um, and worked through all of the information that we will we'll get, it has the potential to, be, to form part of, of things such as regulatory submissions because of the nature of, you know, the way the trial was conducted. So I think the first sort of data point is to present it publicly, uh, let everyone see the full data set as Clay mentioned. And we're obviously thinking about all those other uh, components as well. With regard, do you want me to answer the EV questions? Sure. So it's a a great question, Andy, with regard to, you know, biomarker expression. What I would say, and we haven't disclosed the information, but the trial is moving along, and we are, you know, clearly at some point uh, in the next, you know, while, we'll start to talk about some data and and present. Um, I, I can't comment on which particular cohort we'll look at. But in general, from a biomarker perspective, uh, clearly, we measure and we evaluate Nectin-4 in all cohorts. Uh, we enrol all comers, but we evaluate the biomarker. And so, if there was, if it was appropriate uh, to enrich a population, you know, using a biomarker, that's something we would do. Again, I'm not saying that is what we're doing, but if if that were, if that produced a response rate that we, uh, you know, found compelling, we would be able to do that. Great. Thanks so much.
0: Our next question comes from Ren Benjamin with JMP Securities. Please go ahead.
5: Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking the questions. Um,
4: Just one, can you talk a little bit more about SEA CD40? Um, You know, the update at ASCO GI we thought was pretty compelling. The response rates look pretty good. So. Just trying to think about next steps. What what are the gating steps, I guess, to um, pursue a phase two trial and then a registrational study?
3: Yeah, thank you
2: for the question, Ron. Uh, you know, sc 840 uh, continues to be a drug we're very interested in. You know, uh, I think you're asking about next steps in pancreatic cancer after the data we put out at ASCO GI. Uh, you know, certainly there was encouraging anti-tumor activity in a disease that's uh, arguably one of the worst cancers. There are incredibly difficult to treat disease in general. Uh, but, you know, for what we're looking at, we want to make sure uh, these uh, stand the test of time. And I want to, uh, you know, we need to evaluate the survival curves over a little bit of a longer period of time before we make any final decisions. And so I think it's important, it's hard to know until uh, so you really see the durable data to know, it, even if you're going forward, it's like, how do you size this? What, what are the statistics you need in the study? What's the appropriate way to talk to regulators? You need the, 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 the right data set. So I'm very proud of the work we're doing on this horrible disease. Uh, you know, the initial data was, you know, encouraging, uh, but we have been very clear that we want to see the full, you know, Kaplan-Meier curves and how they compare, to what we, you know, we think that uh, some of the uh, best regimens of the day, of today, would would work. So, uh, you know, stay tuned on that. Uh, It's something we we, we talk about regularly, uh, and, uh, you know, it's just uh, a little premature to give you any more definitive data yet, so stay tuned. Great. Thanks.
0: Our next question
5: comes from Ji Chen Chu with Panber. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you very much for taking my question. Uh, I want to ask about of, uh, uh EV and EV104 in a non muscle invasive of bladder cancer. Uh, given PEMBRO is approving this case, uh, this indication on, on on single arm accelerated approval, and uh, what do you? Expect this trial to achieve. Do you think the data could could be sufficient for for approval? Thanks very much.
2: Yes, thanks for the question,
5: Roger. Do you want to address that? Sure. So you know we have we have just begun. I think we're very excited, and you know the potential to use uh, to use PADSIF, you know, installed directly into the bladder, is a pretty compelling argument. Uh, if if, uh, indeed the product is both safe and effective. And provided there's an accelerated approval path available for a BCG non-responsive population, again, without saying that we would or we wouldn't do it, that at least in theory is a a potential approach. So I would say we are still working out whether, you know, PADSERV will produce the type of efficacy we hope to see, um, and we could potentially move forward with with a lake line population. That is, you know, one possible outcome. Great. Thank you very much.
0: This concludes our question-and-answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to management for any closing remarks.
1: Thank you, operator, and thanks, everybody, for participating and joining us in our call this afternoon. Have a wonderful evening.
0: The conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.